You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. So I want to welcome everybody to uh, Core Awareness Teleseminars. I'm Liz Cook, and I'm the author of the SOAS book, Core Awareness, um, Enhancing Yoga, Pilates, Exercise, and Dance, uh, the SOAS and Back CD, and Unraveling Scoliosis. And for the past uh, 30 years, my passion has been the iliopsoas complex, and exploring it not from a scientific perspective, but from a somatic perspective, meaning live movement and what we call proprioception, or the internal sensory awareness of uh, this tissue and, and what it means. And it took me a long time to actually access it. And one of the things that I have uh, become aware of and have written about quite a bit is how important the pelvis is, that often when there's uh, disruption in the pelvic integrity, a person will have psoas problems. And I put, put problems around in quotes because it, the psoas is not the problem. The psoas is the messenger. So what I say now, which I didn't really say in the psoas book because I wrote the book 30 years ago or so, 27 years ago, uh, is that... I think of the, the psoas is very biointelligent tissue. It grows out of your spine. And as it grows out of your spine, it is messaging any disruption that's happening along the spine. And the pelvis is part of that expression. So when I happened to catch something that uh, Christine Kent said about kegels, and I read it, I got all excited. And, um, and so I started looking at what she was doing. And Christine Kent is the author of Saving the Whole Woman, Natural Alternatives to Surgery for Pelvic Organ Prolapse and Urinary Incontinence. And it's a book about non-surgical treatment of pelvic organ prolapse. And I got very excited because I realized that not only was, were we on the same page about the importance of the spine, um, and the supple, healthy spinal curves, but that she was going to teach me things I didn't know, um, although I've, I, 
I have talked about pelvic integrity from an anatomical point of view. I always talk about, you know, we talk about where in movement this pelvis should be positioned. And some of the work that she's done in her research with looking at anatomy charts and our whole, uh, our whole paradigm around women's reproductive organs and, and our, our dealing with dysfunctional pelvic problems was really um, fascinating to me. So I have invited Christine Kent, who's a registered RN and who has done tremendous research on looking at female pelvic organs and the, and the organs as a system that work coherently and, and holistically. And uh, I'm so excited, Christine, that you are here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here with you, Liz. Thanks for inviting me. And her website is www.wholewoman.com, and that's where you can also order her book. So those of you who are just joining us, welcome. We're going to be talking about uh, the healthy dynamic pelvis and female anatomy of the reproductive organs, and uh, we're going to see how that all fits together and I believe that you'll find that when there's a coherency there, the psoas, as messenger of that, of that spinal cord or the central nervous system, uh, will be more supple and juicy and responsive when we get that pelvis feeling uh, coherent again. So, Christine, um, I want to give you a few minutes to kind of tell people your history, like how did you end up becoming so interested and doing so much research about uh, the pelvic organs and, and the pelvis itself. Okay. Well, my story, Liz, began about 20 years ago with a lousy pelvic surgery. Um, I was about 41 years old, and uh, it was during a routine trip to the gynecologist, a woman I had never been to. She was, uh, I was referred to her, by a nursing colleague. I was in, actually, I was in my last semester of nursing school here at uh, the University of New Mexico, and she found a fibroid. Uh, this was pre-internet days, um, of course, and I had never heard of a fibroid. This is really just when fibroids were becoming a common knowledge, even though they, you know, are practically ubiquitous. Um, they are a major, I guess the major, um, indication for hysterectomy, but women, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of, of common knowledge about them. So I was told, and literally, uh, the gynecologist rubbed her hands together and said, we don't know what this is. We think it's okay, but uh, I recommend a hysterectomy. Go home and talk to your man. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. And, uh, you know, we'd like to do this soon. So... Um, uh, you know, I, I dug my heels in, thank goodness. Um, my mother and my, my sister had both had hysterectomies, and something in me just knew I couldn't go there. So uh, I asked for a second opinion here in town, um, was given the same information. 
Um, so I called my doctor in Southern California, where we had moved uh, from uh, previous to that, and he said, oh, no problem, we'll take it out with laser surgery. And um, so, uh, you know, we set up the insurance, flew out there, a big deal, and my pre-op appointment was the day before the scheduled surgery, and he found the fibroid. And um, he said, are you having any other problems? I said, no, I'm you know, very healthy. Um, you know, once in a while when I sneeze or cough, I lose a little bit of urine. And he said, ugh, that's ridiculous. You're too young for that. We're going to be in there anyway. Let's just tuck up your bladder. And I asked him, you know, what, what does this mean? You know, if, um, are there any risks? And he said, it's a fabulous surgery. No, um, no problem. Um, so uh, he, he indeed tucked up my bladder, you know, these euphemisms that they use. And um, it turned out to be a Marshall Marchetti Krantz procedure, uh, which dates from 1949. Uh, it was actually developed for men with prostate cancer who had lost uh, function of their bladder urethra system. And it's a, it's a very deep surgery and uh, basically... Um, attaches uh, the fascia around the bladder neck to the front of the body. In, me in my case, with long proline sutures, uh, the musculature of my abdominal wall. So it, uh, long story short, it caused an immediate and a profound, it moved my, my front wall forward, my front vaginal wall forward, and caused an immediate and profound uterine prolapse. Um, so I um, was furious, fueled by anger, and uh, after that, immediately after that, uh, dove into the gynecologic literature to try to understand what was done to me and what I could do to try to naturalize my body. Okay, I'm and what pause, I found... I'm gonna, hold on for one minute. I'm oh, pause please. right there. So everybody who's joined us, uh, welcome for joining us. I, this is Liz Cook at coreawareness.com, and I'm talking to Christine Kent, uh, the author of Saving the Whole Woman. And I would like you to star six, because I can hear uh, office and different, different family events going on. And we're trying to get a good recording so we can use this as a podcast. So thank you for joining us, and thank you for star sixing. So we're talking about how uh, Christine Kent got involved in the research that she did as a registered RN, and she just told us the story of her own uh, gynecological issues. And we're just at the point of uh, where she uh, has has experienced a prolapse, and she's now starting to do some research about what is this all about. So, okay, so you're very angry, and you are ready to start <laughs> figuring this out. That's right. So um spent years, actually, in uh, the medical library here. Uh, we have an old archival um, uh, room where you can look up medical literature from, you know, 140 years ago. And um, what I found and what I continue to find is a staggeringly faulty and sometimes even fraudulent conception of the human female body. And a medical practice that has turned truly a vast number of women over the course of 150 years into victims of surgeries that don't work, they can't work because they are based in anatomical misconception. Okay, perfect. So let's go right there. What, 
what is the anatomical misperception? Okay. Um, the most astonishing and incomprehensible um, is the misrepresentation of the anatomical position of the pelvis within the standing human body. Um, for whatever reason, and I talk about this in the book, um, I talk about the history of it, but, but why it occurred, uh, we don't know. Uh, was it religious? You know, did, did, did the scientists who, um, you know, that was during the Enlightenment, but the, 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 the medical people of that time were very religious, and, you know, perhaps they couldn't accept that, that we were that closely related to the rest of the mammalian world, but they represented the pelvis um, with a 90-degree backward rotation. And that's how we think of it. Even, even people who really have you know, very little education, um, when, you, when you ask, you know, what does the pel human pelvis look like, they will say, you know, it looks like a bowl, you know, with the organs inside. Um, so hold on and for one minute. Fact, hold on, Christine. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the people who have come on, uh, there's a lot of static, so I need to ask you to star six, please, um, so that we can hear what Christine's saying, because you just said something really important, and I got a, her a whole lot of static when... Uh, so those of you who just joined us, please star six so we can move on. We're talking to Christine Kent, Saving the Whole Woman. And you, you were just saying about the backward rotation of 90 degrees. And I, I want you to go back to that mammalian idea because I think we need to actually kind of take people through that process. That you know, right. One, they're looking at cadavers well, that are hanging up. Uh, rather right. than human, human, but just say a little more about what you're referring to—that we right. are mammals as a species, and and, right. and so our pelvis is more connected to that than we'd like to think. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely, and everyone knows that that four-legged creatures have a horizontal spine, right? Well, they also have a horizontal pelvis. They have long, blade-like. Um, hip bones, we call them ilia, um, and uh, they are for, they are directed in a forward orientation, okay, or position. And the pubic bones in animals are their pelvic floor. They come together underneath them, just like the straps of a saddle. In humans, it is no different. The Ilia, the hip bones, have pulled back. They've become much more massive on top. The pubic bones are still oriented underneath us in a front-to-back um, position or, or orientation. Okay? And the pelvis is still to this day, and remember this, this, this mistake was first made 500 years ago. And it has not been corrected. This isn't something that I made up. I was very fortunate very early on in my research to find first, um, and actually the three only uh, references to this that I've, that I've ever encountered. But the first one was um, a, a wonderful, beautifully illustrated paper 
um, by a man named Davies. My assumption is he, he was a gynecologist from New York, and he presented a paper. He, pre- he presented it in Paris, which I think is, is, is kind of telling. But um, in his paper, um, uh, he illustrated that, it, indeed, you know, there is a lot of, there was a lot of radiologic evidence by the 1950s, and they could see that the pelvis was a was oriented like a ring on its edge with the pelvic um, with the pubic symphysis underneath. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, that was completely ignored. I, I um, and his his paper was called "Man's Assumption of Upright Posture." And, and, and the paper was about what that means for the human female body. And he was saying to his colleagues, look, you know, we are the ones doing these surgeries and we have to understand that the pelvis is actually horizontal and it is the profoundly um, um, curved lumbar spine that allows us to become bipedal. Um, so totally ignored. And um, a, a pair of gynecologists, I'm sorry, a pair of uh, veterinarians in, I think it was 1988, the late 80s, uh, wrote a wonderfully polite paper called um, uh, uh, Misrepresentation of the Human Pelvis. And they asked the question, why isn't this being corrected? Because the what 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 is still what is still illustrated, and I have an an anatomy book in front of me that I bought actually at the University Medical School here in New Mexico. It's from the late 1990s, 1997, and um, it it has an a beautiful um, anterior posterior X-ray of the standing pelvis, and it's completely obvious. Um, uh, to someone who wouldn't know, they would say, well, um, the, the, the front of the pubic symphysis is lower in the picture, and the back of the pubic symphysis is higher because in two dimensions we see perspective in that way, you know, from bottom to top. But it is, it is illustrated then, the neck literally, um, not the next page, but the page after that, are illustrations of the human pelvis and the the position that was just seen in the x-ray is called the view from above so like you're looking down into the birth canal and the and um the, illust- the the way it's illustrated everywhere that uh, what's called the anterior um, aspect or you know looking into the the front of the pelvis is um, the position um, of the symphysis and pubic bones as a short wall in front. Okay, so it's it's rotated backward. So um, this is this has it's it's. Uh, I, I liked very much your preface to this conversation, Liz, because what you describe are, you know, are women's ways of knowing, and that is needed so much because um, these, you know, this fundamental error, and of course there is, you know, all of gynecology or all of pelvic reconstructive surgery flows from this core mistake, this misconception of the core of the human body. Um, but it, it, it's time that um, 
<laughs> women understand our actual anatomy. So that is what the whole woman work is all about. Um, it's about redescribing the um, female pelvic organ support system. Okay, so let's take us there. I want you to, uh, if you will, to to explain to women how if their organs are not in this bowl with this hole and everything's just going to fall out, how are they supported? What is the rea reality of how the organs are supported? Okay, well, the true um, uh, pelvic basin or pelvic wall is, uh, or, I'm sorry, um, the true pelvic basin or bowl is the lower abdomen. The abdominal wall is not flat. The abdominal wall is L-shaped. It, it comes together, I mean, I'm sorry, it comes um, underneath the pubic symphysis. So the abdominal wall, the mons pubis, and that's the, you know, where we have most of our pubic hair, that's where the long strap-like muscles of the inner thighs and the outermost layer of, of abdominal muscles connect. You know, that's why it's, it's bulgy. Um, that and our pubic bones are the true pelvic basin. And the organs are contained within the, the angle of that L-shaped um, abdominal wall. The abdominal wall that truly should, in our, in our conception of pelvic support, it should contain the mons pubis and the pubic bones. Um, this is a, you know, it's a, it's, it, it's an outrageous um, uh, reframing of our anatomy. But the truth is, we are not that much different than fish. We have a front, we have a back, and we have a little two-inch, barely two-inch, bony pelvic floor. We carry our organs in front. And it is, uh, you know, the, the, the conventional view that is still being um, presented is that we have a, a horizontal pelvic floor on which um, uh, are supported the abdomen, the abdominal and the pelvic organs. And we don't accept that. You know, the, it is the abdominal wall, just like in quadrupeds, that continues to support the female pelvic organs and the abdominal organs. And I'd like for people to know that um, there's a, there is a book called Your Inner Fish, A Journey, uh, journey into the 3.5 billion uh, year history of the human body. And it was written by uh, Neil Shubin and, uh, that tracks the anatomical um, development of the human spine. So when you say that, it's, uh, it, you know, it touches off at several um, perspectives, which is that movement itself doesn't come, uh, the, the whole uh, a misdemeanor, uh, again here, maybe it's, a, it's bigger than a misdemeanor, <laughs> the major assault is that the human, um, the human organism is a static spine that's moved by the legs. So the psoas is often seen as something that's moving the leg. But in reality, the, the spine itself is an expression of fish movement with the lateral inflection and, 
and extension. They, all those kind of movements is what the, what the spine really does. So movement actually comes from the spine. And then the, then the psoas only expresses that. So it really takes us to spinal health, doesn't it? Because to really have that, the organs uh, uh, located in space and time and gravity, we're really relying on a dynamic spine. So I know that you work with the spine a lot to regain um, the, the spinal S curves in it because that is the dynamic, resilient capacity for the body to move. So would you like to tell us a little bit about how you work with that and why you think that's so important? Okay. Well, um, let me just back up a little bit that, you know, of course, um, how you know, our spine is, is primary, but the abdominal wall is, is equally primary. You know, we're, we're a whole tension compression system. The whole thing works in harmony. Um, you know, it, it, there are really no parts in this system. It is a whole. And, uh, you know, the, the, the L-shaped abdominal wall wrapping underneath the body um, and, and holding the organs up above um, is 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 you know a major part of the female pelvic organ support system. Um, so yes, our our work um, is all about the nat what I'm calling the natural shape of the female spine, and um, we come to that through posture. Uh, exercise is fabulous, but it's how we hold our body. Um, as much as we can throughout the course of the day. And um, after years of doing this work, um, it's really about continually, uh, really unconsciously, it becomes unconscious, um, uh, pulling into this shape that we've trained ourselves to be in, um, and um, it becomes effortless and ultimately supportive of um, our abdominal and pelvic organs. Uh, so would you like me to explain the posture or would you want to talk about kegels? Yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to, <laughs> yeah, because there's different ways to work with this. So for example, um, you know, it, 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 relating this to the psoas, you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 the relationship of the pelvis to the psoas is one of, of which sitting, for example, disrupts uh, um, the spinal response. So in other words, if we sit on our sacrum, the sacrum is a floating bone, it's not a weight-bearing bone. So, so when we sit behind, on our, not on our sits bones, but on our back of our pelvis, the spine begins to lose its curves and, and has a compression and disrupts the harmony of what I call the midline, because I work also with the embryonic model of looking at, as an mm -hmm. organism, we are, we are organized around a midline. So that holistic model you're referring to, the embryonic model uh, really holds that well because we all begin as a cell, and then when the cell divides, it, it, in the human organism, because we have a spine, it begins to organize in a line, and that becomes the primitive streak, that becomes the nordic cord, that becomes the spinal cord, that becomes what we think of as our spine. And it's literally in the center of our body, not in the back, even though we feel those protrusions in the back. That's right. It's, we're That's organized, right. and everything's organized around that. So the abdominal wall is kind of the exterior part of that, 
that bubble, our, our uh, bag of neurons, uh, uh, neurology, that, that we call our core. And the psoas is between uh, that dynamic. And so part of the dynamic of the abdominal wall that I see is often a disruption of either trying to make it too tight or uh, trying to pull it, suck it in, um, and that, that we're actually disrupting the spinal curves in doing that. So one of the things that brought me to you, Christine, was your fabulous article on by white kegels, which are uh, definitely an obsession, um, don't work in regard to what you're referring to of a healthy pelvic or uh, female anatomy. So yes, I would like you mm-hmm. to go to kegels. Okay, great. Um, well, what, um, I'll preface this by saying that, that um, my work um, really is, uh, first of all, I come to the work as a mother, a dancer, a seamstress. Um, I have no interest in becoming a doctor or a PT or a biomechanical scientist because I believe, Liz, that our educational system really is seriously hampering our seeing um, the obvious, the macro, the natural state of the human female body. And um, I do borrow heavily from gynecologic orthopedic literature um, to reinforce certain anatomical concepts. And goodness knows, uh, you know, gynecology knows a lot about the surgical field. And if you just rotate that, 45 to 90 degrees, um, there's a lot of useful information there. But, but seriously, what I've tried to do is point out anatomical truths to women that are self-evident, that we can feel ourselves or we can see ourselves um you know truth that women can see and feel within their own bodies and also well we can feel we can feel the horizontal pubic bones vaginally very very easily they are underneath us you know i think of all of these medical students sitting in you know anatomy classes and they must have raised their hands and said excuse me sir you know, can't you see, uh, you know, this x-ray? Look at how, you know, the, 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 the pubic bones don't form this wall in front of the body. <laughs> and, you know, those were the, those are the people probably that are weeded out. I mean, it's, it's, it's astonishing that this has happened. And I'm sorry to kind of focus on that, but I think it's one of the major, major, um, um, you know, m- medical issues that needs to be brought to light uh, because all of the surgeries that flow from that um, are, are terribly harmful because they are based in misconception. But anyway, we try to help women understand their own bodies from their own experience, but also um, we borrow from um, you know, b- basic biolog- you know, biology and anatomy, uh, basic biological, let's say that, biological laws, um, uh, well, such as, you know, ridges in the, in the skeleton, ridges, um, knobs, spines in bone form from, you know, in response to physical forces working upon them. So um, in terms of, of Kegels, um, um, you know, study, you, everyone, it, it, let me put it this, I'm thinking we probably have a lot of PTs and people that have some anatomical understanding, but um, 
if, if you don't know what the ischial spines are, they are these bony prominences um, right in the middle of the pelvic floor, uh, across the, the the diameter of the pelvic floor. They're what the pelvic so-called pelvic floor muscles are attached to. And um, studies of, of all the different mammalian species have revealed that um, in quadrupeds, the ischial spines are barely known. And they're located way um, down, well, let's say way back um, near the, the, you know, the, the back um, part of the pelvic floor. Um, and in humans, they've migrated forward to the middle, and they're very, very prominent and inward-facing. And we know, we just know this, we don't have to you know, have a lot of education to understand that walking and running on two legs is the major biological adaptation that distinguishes us from the rest of the mammalian kingdom. So it had to have been bipedal motion um, where the, the pelvic wall, I call it a wall, um, is stretched into its functional dimensions um, that has moved and morphed the ischial spines into their present configuration, not lying down and doing Kegels. Uh, Kegels actually shorten um, the pelvic floor, but, but more than that, it's just the wrong concept. It's the wrong concept because we carry our organs at the abdominal wall, and contracting the pelvic diaphragm at the back has no bearing on um, the pelvic organ support system. What does have bearing is that that that, that diaphragm be functional um, because it contains, helps to contain intra-abdominal pressure. Intra-abdominal pressure is what happens every time we take a breath in. When we breathe in, uh, the respiratory diaphragm underneath our lungs comes all the way down to the last set of ribs and it's pushing everything. The stomach, the liver, the intestines, the bladder, the uterus down and forward. And the primar primary force of intra-abdominal pressure, and everyone can feel this themselves, um, is directed at the lower abdominal wall. If you just place your fingertips, uh, you know, a few centimeters below your navel and take a couple of little coughs, you can sense that. Um, it's, it, it, it is secondary. Um, the the uh, intra-abdominal pressure uh, is, is secondarily focused at the pelvic wall. Does that make sense? Yeah. I get kind of excited when I start to talk about this. <laughs> I, so, uh, I think that's yeah. wonderful. Passion is just what we need. Uh, so, so, me, so the, the, yeah, kegels are just the wrong, uh, if you've just had a baby and you can't stop the flow of urine, you should work on this set of muscles. You should. But you should do it in a way um, that makes more anatomical sense so than lying down. Yeah, so sitting up. Yeah, and, 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 and it's very important to know that these muscles are working uh, while we're walking, <laughs> while we're moving around, doing our housework, you know. Uh, uh, but if, if you really want to strengthen them, then sit up while you're, and that allows your pelvic diaphragm to be 
stretched into its functional dimensions and then work the muscles that way rather than loosening the muscles and it does loosen the muscles to bring the tailbone closer to the pubic bones with kegels oh, let's talk at, about on your that, back because this is my one of my favorite topics and it was what uh made me immediately fall in love with you, um, was the concept of not tucking the tail. So would you speak oh, to that? Yeah. In reg- I mean, I'm telling people constantly to not tuck the tail, and so much exercise uh, regimes f- and sports and even martial arts uh, dance will often encourage people to tuck their tail, and shares and cars automatically help you tuck your tail. Right. Well, this has been with us for hundreds of years. Um, uh, these really the 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 the, the abdominally pulled in corseted, uh, the, let's just say the corseted abdomen, uh, the tucked tailbone. Um, the, you know, very common in yoga, uh, less common anymore, uh, because people are, 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 you know, gaining an understanding of what is natural. Um, but uh, tucking the tailbone under and pulling the abdominals in, it, 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 our culture is just drenched with, you know, this concept of core strength. And the concept is not accurate <laughs> from my perspective, but it's detrimental to the female pelvic organ support system. What does the tucking the tail disrupt? Well, it pulls, it, it tips, for one thing, it tips. Uh, well, you talked, about, you talked about the disruption of sitting, you know, um, sitting back on your tailbone, your sacrum. The, dis- the, the disruption of the nervous system and the psoas, etc. Well, from my perspective, it is the uterus that is the soft tissue equivalent of the hub of the wheel. It is the, the mathematical um, center of gravity of the female body. And um, the uterosacral ligaments, uh, they uh, connect the cervix to the spine, and these are ma- these are made up of um, smooth muscle, fibroelastic connective tissue, blood vessels, sympathetic and parasympathetic nerves. They are what bring the nerves from the sacral plexus to the lateral aspects of the uterus. And of course, these are the structures that are used in um, uterine suspensions. You know, when hysterectomy goes out of vogue, the uterine suspensions come back. So when we, um, and it's the round ligaments, and I'm sorry, there's a lot of anatomy here, but it's fascinating, and it's not too much for everyone to understand. Every woman needs to understand her true anatomy. Um, the, the round ligaments are completely disregarded by gynecology, literally, and I've, I've read this dozens of times. They have no supportive value. They have no, you know, reason for being. (laughs) And in fact, they come off the front of the uterus, travel down the inguinal canal on either side of our lower abdominal wall, and they embed in the um, uh, labia surrounding the vagina. That's at the back of the body. That's not underneath us. That's at the back of the body. The uterus is truly connected 360 degrees around the body. 
So when we so-called suck and tuck, when we pull our abdominal wall in, tuck our tailbone under, we are disrupting that anatomy, that basic anatomy that is trying to take place every time we take a breath. When we breathe in, our body is trying to push the uterus for, down and forward. Um, in in the very uh, very in the infant, uh, a, a child who is not yet walking, her uh, vagina uterus uh, forms one long straight axis through her pelvis. Uh, an abdomen like like a quadruped, and over time um, that angle is bent into a very sharp ninety degrees, so um, you know allowing the female to continue to carry her organs at the ab- abdominal wall, just like the horse, the cat, the dog. And um, so when that is disrupted by this very unnatural posture and very unattractive posture, but because we're so saturated with it, we don't see it that way, um, uh, the pelvis starts to, to tip upward. Instead of being flat, the body of the uterus, which is at the front of the body, begins to tip upward. Almost all of us, so many women, have been told through the years that they have a so-called tipped uterus. Well, this is the beginning of pelvic organ prolapse. What happens is intra-abdominal pressure then, instead of, instead of um, pounding on the top of the uterus, you know, it literally pinning it into position, it starts to pound on the front end of the uterus, which is now tipped up, and it starts to literally pound um, the uterus backward, um, and it loosens the vaginal walls. And um, it allows the vagina, which is in normal anatomy, a closed, airless space. The front vaginal wall clamps back very tightly against the back vaginal wall, protecting this virtual space from um, being literally... um, um, from 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 the surrounding organs literally oozing into the space. These these organs are very liquid, <laughs> you know, and um, so uh, cystocil rectocil. That's the bladder in front. Um, a, a prolapsed bladder is called cystocil. A prolapsed rectum is rectocil. Um, this is the most common presentation of prolapse. Um, and uh, I could just keep talking. Yeah, I want you to stop. <laughs> I'll but I'll take a breath. And, okay, take and, a breath. And I've got, I've got uh, two ways I want to go. One is I want to ask everybody who has just joined us to star six because I'm picking up your background talking. And I would like a, a clear uh, archive if we can. Thank you so much. It makes a big difference. Um, so thank you for star sixing. Uh, that helps us get better communication. I have a bunch of questions, but bef- and some of those are based on this idea of what happens dysfunctionally to the pelvis. But before we go into the the disruption of the uh, of the pelvis uh, due to sitting in chairs and tucking our tails under, which I consider a very submissive uh, behavior, uh, like a dog with its tail between its legs. Um, I do want to say that those ischiums that you were talking about is what I teach people to sit on because when you really sit on top and in front of them, it does create, allow the pelvis to fall into its natural 
uh, position, which then takes the organs into their natural position. And, um, and I can say that I feel confident about that because as a 61-year-old woman, uh, I have all my organs, and I've had three natural births. And, um, and so I believe truly that the positioning of my pelvis is what supports all those organs and, and that positioning. So I'm right with you. Um, that is, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, and I've gone through menopause, and, you know, I've still got that functional... Um, system in action so it's it's here forever um now the 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 one thing i want to go to before we head into some of the problematic problems with surgery and 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 because that's what a lot of the questions are about is how do i you know what can i do now type of thing um i want to go to full body orgasm because um you said something to me that uh, I work a lot with the psoas as being the orgasmic response. It's not only the fight and flight fear response, but it's also what allows full undulation from head to toe through the midline. So, so that undulation of the spine or the midline or the organism uh, is what allows us to experience what we call a full body orgasm rather than a sp- specific uh, organ sensation or tintillation. It's a full response in the whole being. And um, you mentioned, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you mentioned that part of that is the uterus. And so I, I was really um, intrigued by what you said. And I, so I want you to go to the healthy, the healthy functional dynamic before we head into the problems connected with when it becomes dysfunctional. Uh, are you talking about neuro um, anatomy, or what do you mean? Well, you mean with you, orgasm? Well, with orgasm for the full body, there was a connection when I mentioned that to you in our uh, previous conversation. That, uh, I think you emailed me saying something to do with how important for many women. You know, they're they're suggested. Why don't you just take have a hysterectomy? Why don't you just take the uterus out? And and so I want to speak to the natural function of the organs when you're no longer going to have children uh, as not something you discard, um, but as a dynamic expression of pleasure and uh, vitality. There's just no question. And um, it's time that this not be denied any longer. Of course it's denied um, vehemently by uh, gynecology, urogynecology, not urology. <laughs> uh, that's that's a, a very interesting aspect. But um, it's denied by post-hysterectomy women themselves. It's denied by daughters of mothers who have been hysterectomized. The uterus is a sexual organ. This is, you know, this is a primary way of knowing that all women have. We know that. We feel the contractions in our uterus. I have never had a, um, you know, clitoral um, uh, orgasm versus a um, uterine orgasm. Uh, have you? I mean, let's no. be real here. No, no, no it whole. is an orgasm, and it, it, you feel extraordinarily strong contractions in your uterus. I mean, all, there's so uh, much incredible misconception out there, and um, so of course, uh, you know, we don't want to lose our sexuality. Um, it, it's a terrible thing to 
to give away, and as Nora Coffey from the HERS Foundation, who has been doing extraordinary work around hysterectomy for 40 years, um, she says it's a very powerful thing to take another human being's, being's sexual organs. Um, and they do it because they can. They don't do it because it's right at any level, including medically, including anatomically. Um, uh, you know, the gold standard, well, do you want to talk about the surgeries? Or? Just let me ask you one other question before we head into that part. Okay, so I have you here talking about how the female pel uh, pelvic organ support system in this astonishingly complex but perfect system. It work, will work for a lifetime. And you say it is built on two essential elements, the spine and the uterus. So you've You've talked about the uterus, but before we finish up in that territory and head into what happens with hysterectomies or what, what goes on, talk about the spine just a little bit. Do you want to say anything more about that Okay, statement? well, uh, oh, of course, of course. Um, if if, if uh, women will lay down just flat on a firm surface and put their, on their backs and put their hand underneath their lumbar spine, their lower back, and just breathe quietly. You will see that every time you take a breath, your body is pulling your lumbar spine forward. You can feel your whole lumbar spine raise up toward the ceiling. Um, there are very strong connections, connective tissue structures called crura that, that connect the, the respiratory diaphragm to the lumbar spine. And with every breath we take, uh, the lumbar spine is moving forward. It is creating this angle, um, this lumbosacral angle that is um, uh, greater in women. Um, it, 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 it's, this is another thing, Liz, and sorry, but there are just so many tangents to go off to. It's, it's just astonishing. But there is um, another part of the conventional view is that there is no difference between the male and female spine. Thank goodness that is now being um, uh, highly challenged by very good science from Harvard and other places who finally have revealed that um, the female spine, the female lumbar, lumbar spine is radically different than the male. We have three um, so-called... Um, what's the term for it, um, wedged, wedged vertebrae. That means they are higher in front and lower in back. This is what gives the curve to the lump, one of the things that gives the curve um, to the lumbar spine. Men have two of those wedged vertebrae, um, vertebras, and um, women have three. And this allows us to have a much greater curve. We need this curve because it is what helps move and keep our uterus and bladder and sigmoid colon, et cetera, positioned forward, forward in front of the pubic bones that are underneath us. But but to, but this this whole thing about about our symptoms worsening, it's just so it's such a neat time for for you know to to be a woman and and to have these issues and to see what's happening, um, even in science, um, there is a widely published, um, very conventional 
urogynecologist in in Australia, actually. Um, I think his his name is Hans Peter. Uh, Dietz is his last name, D-I-E-T-Z. And uh, he's most of his stuff is pretty conventional, but a couple of years ago, in 2008, he wrote a paper called Prolapse Worsens with Age, Doesn't It? <laughs> and what he found was cysticil and rectocil do not uh, do not uh, worsen, you know, significantly. When these organs come all the way back to the vaginal opening, I mean, that's really, you know, that's that's the the, the basic definition of prolapse. When they are inside, well inside. Um, we, we're not symptomatic, um, but but the conventional view is it's going to get worse and worse and worse until your entire vagina turns inside out. And here are the pictures to prove it, and the pictures to prove it are all of post-hysterectomy women who have who are set up for the most terrible kind of prolapse where the vagina truly does turn all the way inside out and contains within it the bladder, the rectum, and part of the small intestine. And this cannot be reduced with a pessary, with posture. It has to be addressed surgically by tying, tethering the top of the vagina to the spine. These are terrible, terrible surgeries. All of them are. Um, the colporophies, you know, the A and P, the anterior and posterior vaginal repairs, they were completely disregarded for mesh surgeries, which are now, you know, the mesh, the, 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 the walls of mesh that have been implanted in women are now, it, there's some indication that the FDA is going to pull all of that uh, because it's been an absolutely disastrous to women. We have a wonderful forum member at wholewoman.com who we love dearly who has who has been told she has horrible erosion, uh, migration, you know, distortion, whatever, uh, infection problems with um, this transvaginal mesh that was implanted a couple of years ago. And in her, she's from Canada, and in her town, she has been told that that she can't have surgery uh, for the time being because there are 100, at least 100 women standing in line for removal of, of this mesh. So anyway, um, so uh, you know, into, it's, it's, into yeah. that whole subject of, okay, because a lot of women have already had total hysterectomies. Uh, women who have written in talk about, um, uh, you know, what should I do? Is it, you know, is there anything without surgery? Right. Once you've already right. had a hysterectomy, okay. what have you discovered for women who okay. are already on the other side of that, who's, who's right. now dealing with um, the, the, the... And, and what you're saying, to, you know, one thing that we left out, maybe that needs to be connected here, is the conversation that what happens when the hysterectomy takes place because of the use of the poor uh, or the info, uninformed positioning of the pelvis? You haven't really talked yet about that, so I would love for you to go there. In, in other words, what, it's, yeah. how the surgery it's, it's, is based it's, on that misinformation. Well, exactly. 
you know, they take the uterus out and they think everything's just going to fall. They know that the other organs, um, you know, fall into the, the space that was created by the uter- uh, by the hysterectomy. Um, so their assumption is that the pelvic floor will just continue to hold everything up. That's not what holds it up. What holds it up is this flattened vaginal space um, with these other organs pulling the entire pelvic interior toward the front. And it is the uterus by way of the round ligaments, by way of the diaphragm, you know, the whole body, the lumbar spine, everything is working in concert to create this this natural anatomy. So uh, first of all, I think we need to help women understand that this is what we have <laughs> to work with. I mean, women women with all their organs. So they're terribly sy- symptomatic. They feel their bodies have failed them. And they're, they're, they've been told all their lives that, you know, the female body is, you know, not up to birth. <laughs> you know, it's, it's defective. It's um, dysfunctional. Um, you know, the, the, um, we talked about the ischial spines earlier. And uh, the and OBGYN will tell you, well, you know, they present the obstetric, obstetrical dilemma. And the obstetrical dilemma is, you know, that because the, you know, the ischial spines are there, right there pointing into the birth canal, that, you know, there's all this damage from, you know, compression and all of this, you know, when the fetal head passes through, when in reality it's you know, all of these decades, it's been the lithotomy position, which narrows the outlet, compresses major blood vessels, et cetera, et cetera. We have to turn the whole thing around. It's so very important. Prolapse really was the missing piece of the puzzle. We could be convinced that we were damaged, defective, defected, all of defective, all of this stuff, because they could just point to prolapse and, and urinary incontinence, well, fecal incontinence, you know, not mentioning, oh, you know, it was the extended episiotomy, but, um, and say, look, you know, your body, um, it just does this. Well, it doesn't just do this. Um, even the most natural birth can result in prolapse. But if a woman will resume the natural shape of her spine, you know, just, just, just during the course of her day, she needs to under, have an understanding. What was, we are at this amazing crossroads. We, you know, what was once unconscious because of our natural life ways. Now we have to bring it fully into consciousness. We have to teach other women. If we have prolapse symptoms, we better learn how to move these organs forward and accept our symptoms. You know, if a woman's uterus, and, and uterine prolapse, by the way, is pretty rare. Women have it, but cystocil rectocil is by far and away the most common presentation. Um, but, you know, if, if, if an organ if, or if a part of the vagina, more accurately, is literally out of the um, body and being excoriated or scratched up, banged up, um, you know, she needs to find ways to move that forward. Uh, pessaries, sponges, um, cotton balls, you know, there are lots of ideas. But what's astonishing is, you know, we have some very powerful technologies now using the breath to move the organs forward use using posture and the seated postures are fabulous sitting is great you know uh, we just need to not spend tons of time in um, 
well, you know, t- the tucked under position. So um, anyway, but the woman who's had hysterectomy, Liz, um, we don't know. From my perspective, she still needs to carry her bladder forward. She still needs to carry her intestines forward. This is really all she has too because the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth surgeries have been proven to only be more damaging. Um, so she will not get the same level of result. And, you know, uh, not all hysterectomies are created equal. We don't know how much of her vagina she has to work with. The, wo- the woman who has had the gold standard, you know, which is, you know, A&P repair, you know, narrowing the vagina, which really doesn't, what's so astonishing is a hysterectomy and an A&P repair will really make the vaginal space very short and cave-like. It becomes like a cave, very very, very vulnerable to being completely turned inside out. Um, you know, if a woman is lucky enough to have just had her uterus removed and her vagina is long enough to to create some of these natural dynamics that we've been talking about and she can learn to hold her organs forward, that would be the best case scenario. Unfortunately, it's not just the soft tissues and, you know, the the hormonal aspects and biochemical aspects that, you know, the papers are written about. It's the skeletal aspects that there is not one paper ex- exists in the scientific literature that um, that talks about why the post-hysterectomy pelvis uh, and spine reconfigure like we do and go sit on a bench, you know, in any park and mall uh, and, and watch the, pe- the women walking by. A huge percentage of them, 50% by age 65, are walking around without their uterus, usually their ovaries too. Um, and the, the the lumbar spine straightens, the pelvis becomes wider. Um, it's changed at a very very deep level, and this is, um, you know, it's, I, I believe it's the sacroiliac joints that are most effective. Maybe uh, one of the vertebrae gets wedged differently within the ilia. I don't know. This is all speculation. Um, but someday, you know, this is the science that I want to see happen. Why we support any other science at this point? Uh, you know, we need to change this. It's time. Thank you. Um, so let's, because it's uh, 1 o'clock and we all have to stop, um, I wanted to kind of, uh, you've actually answered a lot of people's questions indirectly or directly um, because people have been asking what's the cause of prolapse and, you know, what's the cause of protrusion of the colon. I think we've we've kind of gotten to a lot of uh, the questions that people have so I'm going to uh, suggest that instead, um, there's one question that we haven't talked about, and it might be of interest to a lot of people. One woman asked um, about the separation of the abdominal muscles, um, and was there a link to the pelvic floor dysfunction? And I think that would also, am I correct to say that it's an obvious yes? Um, but I wanted to also give you a chance to kind of sum up what you've worked with, with giving maybe some hope to women who, uh, you know, a lot of women were saying, should I do the other surgeries? My, the mesh is causing problems. Um, many of the dysfunctions that happen after the hysterectomy. What is your advice to women who, uh, I, I'm hearing the advice, if I can reiterate it, is that you still can work, really work with your spinal health and the resiliency of your pelvis. 
Anything else you want to suggest to women? Well, I'm I'm very interested in breathwork, and I believe I, I think we need to really bring post hysterectomy women into. Um, a more, for lack of a better term, I don't want to um, uh, alienate anyone, but for lack of a better term, a more spiritual uh, way of of dealing with this. Uh, I think there is a lot that can be done around the breath. Um, so, uh, it, and of course, there are a lot of lifestyle, a lot of lifestyle tips, uh, but these are not women in, that can really, um, you know, they can't do what you know we can do frankly you know safely they can't uh they can for a while but it's they're they're at risk these are, this is an at risk population and it doesn't mean that they can't be active but i would like to see them be active in ways that um that recreate the natural spine and uh pel- pelvic Compression, um, sacroiliac joint compression is something that is of very uh, great interest to me. I think women need to understand that because their uh, pelvis is no longer kept together from the inside, they need to apply gentle pressure with low belts from the outside. And they can do this with fashion, you know, with clothing belts. Um, So it's not that women can't be active, but they need to be much more careful because their anatomy has been very significantly changed. And for the rest of us, you know, I think it's, it's extraordinary, or for everyone, it's extraordinarily important to understand that the human female pelvic organ support system is the result of millions of years of adaptation to life on Earth, and it does not need improvement. What we need now is to become conscious of the fact that the human female body is flawless. You know, those terms that I used earlier, um, defects, dysfunctions, you know, they, I think it's, it's better understood in, in terms like devolved and degenerated. Um, we need to trust in our natural design and return to our natural ways of living. It's fun. It's creative. It makes us look at everything, our clothing, our, our, our living space, um, you know, what we do. It's, it's just, it's, it's wonderful work and it has really far reaching effects. There have been women now that have been with me for years. This, uh, we've been on the web since 2003 and some of the things I've, I've heard really take, um, you know, take the work into the spiritual realm. It's an amazing thing to live in your natural shape. Thank you so much, Christine Kent. She's the author of Saving the Whole Woman, Natural Alternatives to Surgery for Pelvic Organ Prolapse and Urinary Incontinence. And her website is www.wholewoman.com and you can get her book on her website. Thanks for oh, sharing can I just this add, Yes. Oh, sure. thank you so much. Could I just inter- add real quickly that um, certainly by December 1st, we will have our second major DVD, First Aid for Prolapse for Elders. Um, a lot of the women haven't been able, a lot of older women haven't been able to do the very rigorous workout in First Aid for Prolapse, my first DVD. This is going to be a wonderful, inspirational, very important um, DVD, so keep your eyes peeled for it. <laughs> Thank you.
thank you so much. It was really fun to talk to oh, you. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Liz. Thanks so much for, for having me. Yes. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.